your voice heard on the law offices of Rod Polston, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line at 405-329-9000. Sound off on the Air Comfort Solutions text line at 405-651-3439. Live from the Brown O'Haver Studios, it's time for The Rush with Butkus Award winner Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. The team, I think, doesn't know what to feel in the Big 12. There's a meme, right, on social media of a crying person with a mask on over their face. You know the meme I'm talking about, right? Yes. It's like oh, I know. you're very I angry, know. but you've got the mask on. You're yeah. trying to be happy. And they're telling us they're happy as hell. Boy, they're telling us that they got the guy they wanted, that they're about to be tougher, they're about to be better, and they don't care about that out west. But I don't think Oklahoma fans really believe everything they're saying. I think Oklahoma I would actually I would put them in the Florida State category. I really would. And like the the meme that you're talking about is absolutely correct. I also think of Joaquin Phoenix in the Joker where he's like crying and his makeup's crying off, but then he's like holding his lips up like that. Right. That's what I feel like Oklahoma fans feel right now. They're gonna put on some front and say but they're but the thing is, they haven't even put on a front. All they've done is about Lincoln Riley. So maybe that changes. Well, they believe. Still- I, I think they're acting like they believe Brent Venables is the one to lead him back to where they ought to be. I think they tr- they like Brent Venables. They they think the future is going to be great, but they're not 100% sure. So I, I feel I like. I think they're talking themselves into it. 100%. Is that his real voice? <laughs> Brandon Walker? Yeah. Really? He's from Mississippi. Huh. Well, um, they don't know what they're talking about, which is which is standard, and you really don't, I guess, need to know what you're talking about to. That's not a prereq to carry on a show uh, of that nature. It's the more stupid things you say now, the more cash you make. Just have to get yeah. yeah, I don't know. I. There's there's just a real lack of understanding what's going on on the ground, right? The real nuts and bolts of the situation, both before Lincoln left and after Lincoln left. So, and like I said, like some of the things I don't believe were necessarily Lincoln's fault. Some of the things I think were a direct result of some of the decisions that he had made but nonetheless since he left like a lot of things are way better um it was the best dude it was the best thing that could have happened in the program yeah for multiple reasons i i think it is a rare situation where both the university of southern cal and oklahoma are better off I'll say this, uh, we used to have pointless, well, at the time, they seemed pointless off-season conversations to, to fill time during the summer about, all right, well, if he were to leave tomorrow, who would be the next head coach at Oklahoma? If he took a, the Dallas Cowboys job, who would be the next head coach at OU? We had those conversations. I never once felt like when we had those talks that that was imminent on happening. But we did. We always came back to Brent Venables would get an interview. He would be heavily considered. He'd, he would be in the top three. And at the time of those conversations, I was like, okay, yeah, I think they would go with a defensive hire next. I feel like I'd be on board with that. I never would have imagined then how much on board I'm with this hire now. 
So I know that that audio clip from Barstool doesn't reflect that, but that's what that's what fans think right now is like, oh my, I prop no one could have imagined two years ago how on board with a Brent Venables hire they really would have been. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Totally agree. That's going to be the overwhelming message that you're going to hear from national media. And none will be any more annoying than your weekly ESPN coverage. Uh, that's just going to be bending over backwards to talk about what a great uh, you know, football team USC is about to have. All of that's going to happen. Meanwhile, Oklahoma is going to win way more games. They're going to be way more relevant. And everyone at the same time is going to say how, man, we just knew that this Venables hire was a home run whenever they announced it. It just made sense for all of the right reasons. Well, they're, they're quietly right now. Whatever the narrative is, they're quietly building it right now. There's not a whole lot of spotlight on the program right now for the first time in a while. And uh, I, I don't think Britt Venables hates that necessarily. Right. That not everyone's just hyping them up at this point. Yeah. In fact, I, I think that it's the exact – I mean, they're using all this uh, for motivation, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure that's what's going on. Well, it's, um, it's always nice to be able to, to take something like that and use it as fuel. It's one of the most common things in sports. Find the naysayers. Uh, print out what they say, slap it on a, a bulletin board there in the locker room, and let's all go out and, and prove everyone wrong. It's it's the easiest way to create some motivation and to, to light a bit of a fire. Uh, let's read a few texts and let everybody vent here, and then we'll move on. Okay, I'm 100% sure I'd rather have Venables over Muleshoe heading to the SEC. Dang, I take Putin over Muleshoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somewhat biased response, I believe. I thought BV was doing everything right, but after hearing that, maybe he's forgotten how to football, and you remember he's never been a head coach before. Never been a head coach before. Very important. Ha, 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 ha. That was precious commentary about TBOW and BV. Just wait, pundits. Just wait. We're building a monster. That's right. That's right. There's no doubt. And continue to say it. There's all of the things that are happening up there are the right moves. They are championship moves. They are the things that they're going to be doing. And the, the way the program is being run is how you would expect it to be run. If, if someone said, let's walk in and take a look at, at the nuts and bolts of, the premier program in college football. Like it, it is what you would expect. Before I, you know, there were some parts of that that just it, that just did not ring true. Uh, since we always clown on list on other people, I thought I might give you and the text line an opportunity to clown on a list that one of us do. Um, I'll take the bullet this time around. I uh, I've picked out what in my mind are the three toughest games on the schedule this year. Now, I'm not constructing this 
from the three best teams that they're facing. I think there's a difference in toughest games and the toughest teams okay. that you can face. So You've with, got my attention. Do you want me to start at one, or do you want me to start at three? Three. Okay. At number three, I have the home game against Baylor. Now, Baylor might be the best team that you face this year, right? but I think it's the third toughest game. Part of it is because it's a home game, sure, but I think most for me, I think there's tougher games before it because of where it sits on the schedule. What if, you're telling me is by November 4th, whenever that game takes place, OU will have settled into yeah. their new offense, their new right. defense, you know, like it's a bad time to face OU. If I were if I were gonna play OU, I'd much rather be like Kansas State or TCU on where it sits on the conference schedule. November's not the time that I would want to face OU this season. Sounds like right now you've got that UTEP game trending for your number one. Dude, why you got to blow it for I everybody? Know, Seriously? The Miners got something coming in this year. Now, I, I, I think Baylor's probably the best team that you face, but seeing where it sits on the schedule, I got it at number three. Okay. Number two, this is not going to be one of the best teams you face this year. Maybe the exact opposite. But I got the Nebraska game at number two. Yeah. It's early on in the year, it's week three, and this is like Custer's last stand in a lot of ways for not only the Scott Frost era, but maybe for the Nebraska football program in some ways. You're going to get their best shot early on in the season, your first real test. There's going to be some uncertainty there. Nebraska's probably going to play over their heads. I've got that game in Lincoln at at number two, dude. It's going to be the toughest true road game that you that you have all year long. Yeah, um, a lot of things there. Y- yes, it you will be getting Nebraska early in the year with their new offense, right? Uh, kind of like what you were talking about with Baylor playing Oklahoma late. You'd rather be playing them early than late. I think that is washed out whenever you say. Well, it's early for Nebraska, but it's also going to be early for uh, for Oklahoma. But, yeah, that's going to be, for Nebraska, that game is circled, right? Um, that is the, I mean, that's their, I think in a lot of ways that's their season. They win that game, then let's start talking about a real turnaround for Nebraska. If they lose that game, I, I mean, the, that takes the win out of their sails, and I think that they kind of struggle to another, you know, <laughs> five and seven, six and six season, what, whatever. What are we saying if Oklahoma loses that game to Nebraska? Um, there's no way. I mean, it, it's going to be a bad look, no matter how you look at it. Now, you and I can recognize that that's going to be a tough game, and like I still think OU can have a good year and still lose that game, but it's going to be a pretty bad look once it happens. Yeah. And if you think that there's questions right now about oh, the yeah. hiring of Brent Vittables, oh yeah. Let them lose to Nebraska and see what the talk is. No doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. Totally agree. Um, I guess the one thing that is good about it is uh, Clemson, like Venables did face this offensive coordinator a year ago at Pitt, so he he does have an understanding of, of what they're going to face, so... Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree with the Nebraska game. Number one, um, it's lame that Texas is always the toughest game. But for the same reasons as why I put Nebraska at number two, I think it's 
I think it's accurate for me as to why the Texas is the toughest game this year, but it's magnified a little bit more, right? Like, this is kind of the big moment, especially if Texas loses to Alabama and they struggle a little bit coming out of the gate. This is going to kind of feel like, oh, we need to do something against OU uh, midway through year two for this staff, right? Plus, I think that you're going to get, like Nebraska, Texas' best shot, but Texas has more talent than Nebraska, which makes that a tougher game. There's the history of this being a tougher game. Where it sits at the season, that's still, I guess, relatively early on in the Brent Vittables yeah. era. Um, I got home game against Baylor at three, at Nebraska two, and that Texas game sitting at number one. Three toughest games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's interesting. That Nebraska game is – fascinating I could see it going a bunch of different directions I could see Oklahoma you know uh, not not firing on all cylinders necessarily but like that offense here's the thing man you play UTEP and Kent State first right yep Nebraska's the third game yep I hate to say this, but well, I ain't going to show nothing. <laughs> right? Those first two games, if if at all possible, I think that it will be as vanilla of a game plan as you'll be able to get away with. Now, part of it is like, you need some game. Like, if you're going to be going, if you're going to be going full speed, like as up tempo as you can go, like you would like to have some game action of that, right? Which I'll just tell you on on film, it's hard to really get a feeling for how fast a team is going just by the nature of how it's done. It, it cuts off every single play, right? You there's a starting point where they start the film. They don't want to start it too early, and they cut it directly whenever the play's over. So you don't get to see between. You have to watch the TV copy to see the in-between, and you just don't get a feel for it. So maybe he won't hide the up-tempo stuff, but I have a feeling that there's going to be some things left in the left in the bag whenever they head into Lincoln. So what's your list? What's your top three? I like that list. Um, I would probably put Nebraska at number three. Instead of Baylor, Baylor of number up two. Um, I'm, you know, a, a game that I really thought about putting in there, um, and they're a wild card this year. We'll, we'll see if the offense is any better, but that road game at TCU, man, you play Kansas State at home. That that's got a chance to be a real test. That that road trip to Fort Worth is sandwiched in between that Kansas State and Texas game. It's like. What we what we uh, call a trap game? That's kind of got all the definitions of a of a trap game. It does, but I'll tell you what I think about that game right now. I think that OU is going to score fifty five points. They're bad defensively. Well, you know, it's just it's going to be a different. It's not going to be Gary Patterson anymore. You've got. Uh, you've got an air raid type of coach that's that's going in there that's taken that 
that mindset of we're just going to run it up, we're going to score, score, score. I think we will score as many points as we want against them. And frankly, I think defensively, it's it's going to be. I don't want to say one of the easier games. They're going to get eventually get it rolling offensively there, but I just don't think it's going to match up well against. So Oklahoma. you think when we talk about where certain games fall on the schedule. The Kansas State game, it's a little tricky to play that one early on. The Baylor game, the Oklahoma State game, good. Rather play those later on in the year. But the TCU game, you like that being early on in the season for OU. Yep. I'm this could be famous last words. Not worried about the TCU game. I'm I'm not That is gonna be famous last words. Well, you got you gotta remember, man, Gary Patterson I I don't know. I, I I just expect a totally different TCU football team, and maybe that's going to be a good thing for them. But I don't know. I I could be making a mistake there, but I think they're going to struggle. Sean says, "Question: How many games should I expect OU's best effort next year?" Well, I don't think that they'll be rolling off the bus 11 a.m. in Lawrence and uh, having that kind of performance in the first half. At least I don't think. I know they don't play in Lawrence this year, but you get the point. I think I think you're probably going to see I'll break it up like this. The 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 first four games, which is you got your two non conference at Lincoln and then Kansas State at home. I think you're gonna see a team that looks rusty, a team that's struggling to find itself. Uh, I think they're going to have some wow moments in those games, but I think they're also going to have some frustrating moments in those games. Um, the next kind of group, TCU, Texas, Kansas, and Iowa State, I think you're going to see a team kind of hit a little bit of a cruise control. Not not great, not bad, just kind of... Like what, good enough? Yeah, yeah, which, uh, you know, I think that the Texas game is going to be, that's going to be a difficult game, but TCU, Kansas, and Iowa State, I think next year are going to be like just ho-hum type of games, like uh, atmosphere, like all of those things surrounding it, right? You think the Iowa State game is going to have a ho-hum atmosphere on a mm-hmm. Thursday night names? Well, oh, I think they'll pack that place. I, I guess I shouldn't say atmosphere. I just like the feeling around it. I think Iowa State's probably going to be like a 500 team at that point. And maybe they're going to be way better than I'm giving oh, credit hey, for. No, I, but even if they're a 500 team, they'll pack it out on a Thursday night for an OU game. Yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't mean like the atmosphere in the stadium. I just meant like the feeling around around the game. I, it's There's not going to be a lot of buildup for those games. I could be wrong. But I think the Baylor game at home is going to be like the – find yourself type of football game, right? Find, like be in a battle, have some adversity against a really good team who at that point, maybe Baylor's a top 10 squad. I don't know. But I think if they get past that one, the final three games of the season, I think you will see them hit their stride. Sure. And to answer Sean's question, like – those three games have a chance to be games that you look at and say, this is the type of football team we 
you know, have been hoping to build to. A few more. Teddy is saying he thinks without Gary Patterson, TCU's going to take a step back. Nicely done. If you don't get that joke, then uh, go listen to Gary Patterson's album after the uh, show tonight. Really nicely done. Got all my choring done. Listen to the last hour of The Rush and my Cardinals preseason game on TV at 530. Yeah. <laughs> they did score 29 runs yesterday against the uh, Washington Nationals. Uh, I forgot about Kansas in my top three. Yes, thank you, Texas. Yep. I did. Kansas is going to be a tough one. We don't have to revisit that one again. Going to be a tough one. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Final hour rolls on. Make the right call for OU coverage in the Sooner State. Lock it on the Ref Sports Radio Network. Your home for Sooner fans. At Landers, we're driven to serve. Final hour of The Rush, Tyler McComas, Teddy Lehman inside the Brown O'Haver Studios. We have our drink of the week coming up here in a few minutes with Brady Sexton of Scratch in Norman. That'll be fun. Looking forward to that. Keep the text coming on the Air Coverage Solutions text line 651-3439. Uh, we read a 24-7 sports article yesterday about teams in the top 25. They're buying and selling. 24-7 is uh, selling on both Texas a or excuse me on both Texas and Oklahoma State. I'm going to throw out a few random teams, though, and we'll see if we're on the same page on any of these. Buying or selling, I, I guess I'll say since Alabama is such a massive favorite to win the national championship this year, I'll say contenders to make it to a college football playoff. How about that? Okay. Or play in the national championship game, however right. you want to do it. Uh, first off, Georgia. You buying or selling the dogs coming off a uh, national championship? I'm going to sell... I think I am too. Going to sell. I think they're going to be good. I think that it is incredibly difficult to to stay on top. Um, I think that's that's one of the hardest. Like winning a championship is as hard as it gets, but being able to go back to back. Is but I don't, I don't think all those situations are created equal. I, I think it's even it's more true. magnified for Georgia because they hadn't won a, nas- or a national championship since 1980, man. That's right. The championship hangover, I think, in Athens, no matter how much Kirby Smart has to fight it, is, is going to be real. I think championship hangovers exist everywhere. Well, except and for they lost a ton of great players. Except for my Atlanta Braves, will probably repeat wow. this year without yep. Freddie Freeman. But I'm also selling on Georgia. I'm with you. And without an elite defense, they're going to have to rely on Stetson Bennett to maybe win some more football games this year. And he made some big throws in the natty, sure, but he also made some pretty crippling mistakes at times too. Uh, what are the chances they don't win the East? Dude, I am. Um, I don't know what it is. I would not call it a crush, but the more I look at what Florida's doing, dude, oh. the more I'm not saying Tennessee. Oh, don't come get your on, man, no, let's go. I, I think Tennessee might. I think Tennessee's coming back to earth a little bit this year. Tennessee had the best quarterback in the SEC statistically last, I, last season. Me really, and he's back. Me really likes the future of Florida. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, the Clemson Tigers. You buying or selling? Big comeback year. <laughs> Their entire staff's in Norman right now. Buying. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Really? You've heard some scuttle that they have all this talent coming back, and mm-hmm. you're ready to buy on the Clemson Tigers. I've heard some scuttle. I've heard some scuttle mm-hmm. on on Clemson mm-hmm. for sure. And 
Uh, we'll see. You know, they've got the schedule for who do they play early this year? Clemson. Uh, Let's see. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, they'll play South Carolina no. in the non. I don't think they play anybody good early. Nope. Right. You're right. They start Georgia Tech, Furman, Louisiana Tech at Wake, which you know maybe they lose that to the amazing Wake, uh, NC State, BC, FS. Yeah, they at Notre Dame the same weekend we play Baylor. Uh, end with South Carolina at home, so they've got a they got a really good schedule for for running the table and trying to make a, a playoff. Everyone thinks it's going to be a great year one in L.A. Joel Klatt thinks that SC will be in the top ten at some point this year. I'm selling hard on the Trojans. Are you buying them? Well, if it, if we're talking about making a playoff. No, no, I'm that, selling. That is what we're talking about. I'm, yes. I'm selling. Do I think that Southern Cal has a chance to be better than the four and eight they were last year? Yes, I do. I think they will improve, but USC is not going to be a playoff caliber football team next year. They just aren't. They yeah. don't have that type of. They don't have the players there. Yeah, yet. I, I did some research about it an hour ago because there's an article out today on 24-7 saying, you know, here, here, who are the first-year coaches that have a chance to to make a playoff this year? And, of course, Muleshoe, there's a yes on there, which I adamantly disagree with. I disagree with it for several reasons, but, yeah, they don't have the talent. I don't think that you go from 4-8 and eight to a playoff team the very next year. Or right. at least I had that thought. I, I wanted to see if anyone had done that in the playoff era – Go from a record like that to the very next year, make the playoff. OU in 2014 was 8-5. and five. Yeah. Um, USC wasn't even close to that last year. 2015, they make a playoff. Michigan State made the playoff in 2015. The year before that, they were 10-3. and three. So still a double-digit win team. The closest that I found so far, Washington made the playoff in 2016. The year before, they were 7-6. and six. And then Michigan made the playoff this year, 2020, the COVID year, they were 2-4. and four. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But there hasn't been a whole lot of examples on no team being in the crapper and turning around the next year. Well, Lincoln's already done the – I think it says in the article, well, Lincoln uh, has already accomplished this once as a first-year head coach at Oklahoma. Uh, that's a little bit different. The little- dude had a senior – Heisman Trophy favorite quarterback that's, coming that's, back. That's a with, pretty misleading With statement. a bunch of other things. First-round receiver, a first-round Mackey Award. Was Mark Andrews a first-rounder? I know he won the Mackey Award. I can't remember where he's drafted. His entire offensive line ended up pay, uh, playing in the yeah. NFL. And His edge guy was on a Super Bowl winning team. Yeah, it's com- calm down. Already made the playoff with that same quarterback in 15. It, yeah, come those situations are could not be further. There is no way, unless some type of insane magic happens in the transfer portal between now and the start of the regular season for USC, and I know they've already done well in the transfer portal, but they just don't have the personnel. They're going to have an okay offense, but th- their offensive line is in bad shape. They're trying to get defensive guys in. They're just they're they're not they're not a playoff team. It's not it's ridiculous. Uh, one more, and I can't really decide if I'm very optimistic about Oregon 
or I just want them to be good so badly, so you know they'll right. terrorize SC on the West Coast. You do have some bias built I in. I definitely do. Um, I'm not buying Oregon to win a national championship. No way. But to make a playoff, they got that tough game against Georgia in week one, but if I'm buying anyone in the Pac-12, even over Utah, I think I might be buying Oregon. Yeah. Did you did you see the picture in that article for the Oregon picture? Nah, I'm sure I did, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. It's interesting. There is a picture of their head football coach, Dan Lanning, and he they're at practice and he's where or he's uh holding the microphone. So I that that microphone thing at practice, and I know that there's been plenty of coaches that have a microphone at practice, but I do think that that is kind of an interesting thing that we've seen Venables do that. Lanning is doing it. I, there's been some type of influence there, and I don't know where it originated. thought it was interesting yeah. to see that. Hey, let's get to our drink of the week uh, with Brady Sexton of Scratch right here in Norman. His drink of the week is the state cocktail of North Carolina called the Cherry Bounce. Why are huh. we doing, I'm going to let you guess, why are we doing the state cocktail of North Carolina for our drink of the week? Because Brady Manick has pounded 15 of them at one time. we got some rooting interest there with, uh, with North Carolina. Maybe is that so. what's going on? Brady? So we got inspired to look into drinks in the state and found the Cherry Bounce, which is basically cherry, simple syrup, and a spirit of the of choice. So we made a cobbler. For us, we always have a Sooner cobbler on our menu at Scratch featuring muddled berries, and we love playing with it each season. It changes from whiskey to vodka to gin and um, different flavor profiles with herbs and stuff. So um, we were very familiar with the concept. Cobblers actually get their name from uh, ice being available in the early 1800s for the first time bartenders had ice available to them but it had to be cut out of frozen lakes and delivered in insulated wagons um, so the cobblers are not named the what they are because of the fruit and berries but instead because um, they would call them cobblers because the ice reminded them of the cobblestone streets that the ice was delivered on um, so without further ado the cocktail of the week recipe the cherry bounce cobbler two muddled cherries Half ounce of lemon juice, some turbinado syrup, rye whiskey, coqui rosa vermouth. Available at this, all this is available at the Spirit Shop on Barry and Main and Norman. And one dash of bitter cubed cherry bark vanilla bitters. Shake it all up in a shaker. Double strain it. That means strain it with a hawthorn strainer through a tea strainer and into your glass. Garnish with an orange twist and a cherry. And you have a delicious beverage to celebrate uh, Duke, North Carolina with on Saturday night. Follow Scratch on Facebook and Instagram for information on upcoming cocktail classes in our lovely new basement bar. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye. Appreciate that, Brady. Now we know what uh, all our listeners were drinking at 10 a.m. this morning. Ah, that sounds good. Drink a little it? cobbler. Have a cocktail, you know, sit on the patio, <laughs> watch the sunset. <laughs> All right. Uh, I bet that drink's awesome, but Cowherd would find it, it would be the best drink Cowherd's ever had, but he would never give credit to Scratch and Norman for how good it is. No, no way. All right, let's hit a quick timeout. More from The Rush coming up. Stay with us. This hour of The Rush. Lincoln was a great offensive mind. We all know that. Uh, Lincoln was very creative probably one of the most creative 
offensive minds and guys I've ever been around. Um, Lincoln, over time, learned the run game. You know, in his background, in his history, it was mainly throwing and passing and getting the ball in space. Um, and then I, I think, you know, not only I think he would also tell you that he became a, a better coach here when he got here because we ran the ball more. Uh, uh, you know, again, just Jeff is already he he's already polished in all those areas. I mean, he's he's polished in in um, in everything, um, and it is it's very very impressive. Kill Gundy. Rush rolls on. A couple more segments remaining on this Thursday. Text line 405-651-3439. Uh, I've been dying at this text all uh, break long. It <laughs> says, thank God that I can listen to you on the radio or I would have to talk to my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> that... You never know what the show might mean to some certain people out there. So you're welcome. We're not making you talk to your ex-wife out there. That's interesting. Um, how old uh, is Jeff Levy? Is he a couple of years younger than you? Yeah, maybe 38. Okay, I, it was just because there was the comparison there between Kale of uh, of Levy and, and, and Muleshoe. I didn't know what the age difference was between those two guys when they first arrived on campus, so probably a good, what, six years, I guess? Um, age difference? Yeah. Yeah, age difference because no, he's saying like almost the exact. No, no, no. no. I, I mean, when they first got here, the age. Oh, yeah. When yeah, they yeah, first yeah, got yeah. here, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, because he said yeah. like he had to Lincoln had to learn the run game, I guess, when he first got here. But Jeff, like, well, he already he already knows the run game. He doesn't really have to learn it like Lincoln did. Well, here's the thing about Lebby being well rounded. So remember, he was a he was an offensive lineman, uh, a highly recruited offensive lineman out of high school. His dad was a well known football coach in Texas. I can't remember what what school, but so he was exposed to coaching his his whole life. Um, I think he had a back injury and couldn't play in college once he got here, and started started working that right away. And he's been a coach probably probably longer than Lincoln has, or maybe about the same. And he's coached – he's been the running backs coach. He's been a wide receivers coach. He's been a quarterback coach. He obviously knows the offensive line position because of – uh, you know, his playing experience, he played it. Um, and I'm sure that somewhere he's been been either a like a GA or student assistant that he was he was in the the offensive line room. He may have been in there with Kevin Wilson. Yeah. Um so he's he's been exposed to pretty much every single position and been that coach. Like not just understand it or been, be around it, but been that position coach where you deal with it on a day-to-day. There, so. There's a reason why when you know we were going through the, the head coaching search, I don't even know. There, there was not a close number two 
to who we wanted as a head coach, but man, there really wasn't a close number two to who we wanted as an offensive coordinator. Like the name Joe Brady was thrown around, and I hated that from the get-go. As sure as we were about Brent Venables, we were also pretty sure that we wanted Jeff Levy to be the OC because, right. like you're saying, the track record is is there. Right. Nope. I I agree. That, I was extremely critical that they got that hire along with the head coach. Yeah. I um. I I. Without saying too much, I, when I was at practice, someone that was there was referencing Jeff Levy and this person has been around like has been around some amazing amazing coaches. Oh, well, yeah, what the, what did uh, Thad Turnipseed say and, about Levy? Well, no, and this guy said that he is maybe the most impressive coach like especially at where he is right now that he's ever been around. Wow, that's interesting that Thad would say that. Who? Thad Turnipseed I'm surprised that he would say that, but that's good to hear that Turnipsy would say it. Oh, who did he say that to? I said that to you yesterday. Oh, no, no, he didn't say that to me. Are you sure? Hmm. Maybe in someone else. <laughs> but I don't know. I Lebby has, and it's not shocking, but, you know, a, a lot of the, the things that you were hoping to hear and and like how just how things have gone, like recruiting and – just just building the offense and, and dialing into what Venables wants to do and taking that and run running with it and building it into what he knows and what he's he's you know done with his offense. It's like it's it's gone off without a hitch. Doesn't mean that that there's not gonna be road bumps. I mean there are speed bumps. There is. There's there's gonna be there's gonna be some difficult moments, but Still loving what I'm seeing and hearing. We got uh, 11 minutes of show left, and I'm really worried that I'm going to take this home with me, Um, this frustration and anger of this list of Blue Bloods from Andy Staples of The Athletic. Read it again? Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, which there's four in a row here where it's like, what? Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, OU, Penn State, Texas, and USC. Half of those are wrong. How do you yeah. conduct a list of blue bloods and half of those answers are wrong? And in fact, half of those answers aren't even debatable. They're not even like borderline schools. No. At least give us Miami to debate about. At least give us Florida and Florida State to ponder. Penn State and Auburn? Not even Georgia. Are you kidding me? Who am I missing? Uh, so, Bama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Southern Cal, OU. Blue Bloods. Am I missing one? I mean, there's fringe, but I think that's the slam dunk top five. Yeah. Like, if you really have – here's the thing with me, Teddy. In college football, we have enough of a sample size. If you really have to think hard about someone, they're probably not a Blue Blood. Blue Blood should be obvious, correct? Yeah, the one that's not obvious is Clemson. I, I think that they're not, but, you know, there's, they've had enough recent success here that they, they're kind of like floating around the conversation, right? I mean, they've always been a good, a good program that people, you know, they've got a big fan base, but. They're not a blue blood. The, the conversation about them even ever approaching blue blood status, 
never even arose until 2018 it's, when they it, won that second right. championship under Sweeney. And so, like, it's such a new – like that was, it was never even a thought. So, I still factor them in as, as a no, but I mean, they, they keep it up. We're going to have to have to talk about it. Hey, I mean, because here's the deal. Like, has Clemson been a successful program? Yes. But if you claim Clemson – or Georgia as a blue blood, you're putting them in the same group as Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State. That, and they stick out like a sore thumb. Right. Like, and that's why I think it's so easy to do a blue blood list. You have that five right there, SC, Notre Dame, Ohio State, OU, and Alabama. Is there anyone else that you can put in that list and wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb? No. Right. I mean, so there's five. That's it. In a, in a discussion. Right. It's it's in it's interesting. I uh, Oklahoma has yeah okay. Here it is. Uh, amazingly, I found it quickly. In 119 years of football, is do, amazing. Do you know Do you know this answer? What? How many in 119 seasons? How many losing seasons does OU have? I'll guess eight. I, I don't know this. Twelve. It's pretty good. That's that's number one. No one else is, is is better than that. Twelve losing seasons in a hundred and nineteen years. So, right. and look who's on the list: Oklahoma's number one, Notre Dame's number two, Ohio State is three. Wow, Texas is four with fourteen. I don't. I They've don't had buy most that. of those in like the last <laughs> I don't uh, five that. years. They haven't counted the past decade. They forgot to count. Oklahoma, that. Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, like they're all right there. It's the same teams that we're talking about. All right, quick timeout. We got the final hour next, or this the final is segment the Ref next. Sports Radio Network. Hello, Oklahoma. Brennan Armstrong, operating partner here at Seth Wadley Ford in 